Chapter Twenty Seven of the Rangeland Avenger by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Behind the sheriff's apprehensive glance, there had been a reason. True, the door had closed upon Arizona, and the door was thick. But the moment Arizona passed through the door, he clapped his ear to the keyhole and listened, holding his breath, for he was certain that the moment his back was turned, the shameful story of his exploits in the lumber camp eight years before would come out for the edification of Kern. If so, it meant ruin for him. Arizona was closed to him. All this district would be closed by the story of his early light-fingeredness. He felt as if he were being driven to the wall. Consequently, he listened with set teeth to the early questions of the sheriff. Then he breathed easier, still incredulous, when he heard Sinclair refuse to tell the tale. Still he lingered, dreading that the truth might come out. So he heard the talk turn to a new channel, Cold Feet. Cold Feet meant many things to Sour Creek. To Arizona, the schoolteacher meant only one thing, $2,500, and Arizona was broke. To his hungry ear came the tidings. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the layout for finding cold feet. Ride west out of Sour Creek and head for a flat-topped mountain. On the shoulder, just under the head, you'll find cold feet. Go get em. To Arizona it seemed as if this last injunction were personal advice. He waited to hear no more. If he had paused for a moment, he might have learned that the hope of $2,500 was an illusion and a snare. He saw the bright vision of a small fortune placed in his hands as the result of a single gunplay. He had seen the schoolteacher. He knew by instinct that there was no fighting quality in Jig. And the moment he heard the location, it was as good as cash in his pocket, he was sure. There was only one difficulty. He must beat out the sheriff. To that end, he hurried to the stable behind the hotel, broke all records for speed in getting the saddle on his roan mare, and then jogged her quietly out of town so as to rouse no suspicions. But hardly was he past the outskirts, hardly crediting his good luck that the sheriff himself was not yet on the way, than he touched the flanks with his spurs and sent the mare flying west. In the west, the moon was dropping behind the upper ranges as he rode through the foothills. When he began to climb the side of the mountain, the dawn began to grow. So much the better for Arizona. But knowing that he had only cold feet to deal with, he did not adopt all the caution of Sanderson on the same trail. Instead, he cut boldly straight for the shoulder of the mountain, knowing what he would find there on his arrival. In the nearest grove, he left his horse and then walked swiftly up to the level. There the first thing that caught his eyes was the form wrapped in the blanket. But the next thing he saw was the pale glimmer of the dawn on the barrel of a revolver. He reached for his own gun, only to see, over the rocks above him, the grinning face of Sanderson arise. Too late, Arizona, called the tall man. Too late for one job, partner 
but just in time for the next. Arizona cursed softly, steadily, through snarling lips. What job? Sinclair. He's gone, but he'll be back any minute. And it'll need both of us to down him, Arizona. We'll split on Sinclair's reward. Disgust and wrath consumed Arizona. Without other answer, he strode to the prostrate form, slashed the rope, and tore the handkerchief from between the teeth of cold feet. The schoolteacher sat up, gasping for breath, purple of face. "'Leave him be!' cried Sanderson, his voice shrill with anger. "'Leave him be! He's the bait, Arizona, and we're the trap that'll catch Sinclair.' But Arizona cursed again bitterly. "'Leave that bait till the sun burns it up. You'll never catch Sinclair with it. How come?' From around the rock, Sanderson appeared and walked down to the fat man. Because Sinclair's already caught. If he had expected the tall man to groan with disappointment, there was a surprise in store for him. Sanderson exclaimed shrilly for joy. Sinclair took, took dead then? Dead? Why? You don't mean he was taken alive? Yes, I sure do. And I done the figuring that led up to him being caught. The slender form of Jig rose before them, trembling. It isn't true, it isn't true. There aren't enough of you in Sour Creek to take Riley Sinclair. Ain't it true? asked Arizona. All right, son. You'll meet him pronto in the Sour Creek jail, unless the boys finish their party of the other day and string you up before you get inside the jail. This brought a peculiar, low-pitched moan from cold feet. Cheer up, said Sanderson. You ain't swinging yet a while. But he's hurt. If he's alive, he's terribly wounded. Arizona beat down the appealing hand with a brutal gesture. No, he ain't particular hurt. Just his neck squashed a bit where the sheriff throttled him. He didn't fight enough to get hurt, curse him. Frowning, Sanderson shook his head. He's a fighting man, Arizona, if there ever was one. It seemed that everything infuriated the fat man. What do you know about it, Lanky? he demanded of Sanderson. Didn't I run the affair? Wasn't it me that planted the whole trap? Wasn't it me that knowed he'd come into town for you or Cartwright? Cartwright? gasped Jig. Sure, we nailed him in Cartwright's room, just the way I said we would. And they laughed at me, the fools. He might have gathered singular inferences from the lowered head of Jig, and the soft murmur, I might have known, I might have known he'd try for me. And I might have had the pleasure of drilling him clean, said Arizona, harking back to it with savage pleasure. But I shot out the light. I wanted him to die slow, and before the end, I wanted to pry his eyes open and make him see my face and know that it was me that done for him. That was what I wanted. But he turned yellow and wouldn't fight. He wouldn't kill, said Jig coldly. But for courage, I laugh at you, Arizona. Easy, scowled the cowpuncher. Easy, Jig. You ain't behind the bars yet. You're in reach of my fist. And I'd think nothing of busting you in the face. Shut up till I talk to you. The misty eyes of Sanderson brightened a little and grew hard. 
There was a great deal of fighting spirit in the man, and his easy victory of that morning had roused him to a battling pitch. "'Looks to me like you ain't running this here party, Arizona,' he said dryly. "'If there are any directions to give Cold Feet, I'll give them. It was me that took him.' No direct answer could Arizona find to this true statement. And as always, when a man is at loss for words, his temper rose and his fists clenched. For the first time he looked at Sanderson with an eye of savage calculation. He had come to hope for a tidy little fortune. He had found it snatched out of his hand. And as he measured Sanderson, his heart rose. Twenty-five hundred dollars would fairly well equip him for life. The anger faded out of his eyes, and in its place came the cold gleam of the man who thinks and calculates. All at once he began to smile, a mirthless smile that was of the lips only. Maybe you're right, Sanderson, but I'm thinking you'll have to prove that you took cold feet. Prove it? Sure. The boys wouldn't be apt to believe that sleepy Sanderson woke up and took cold feet alive. Instantly, the gorge of Sanderson rose, and he began to see red. Are you out to find trouble, Fatty? The adjective found no comfortable lodging place in the mind of Arizona. Me? Sure I ain't. I was just stating facts the way I know them. Well, the facts you know ain't worth a damn. No. It was growing clearer and clearer to the fat man that between him and the twenty-five hundred dollars there stood only the unamiable figure of the long, lean cowpuncher. He steadied his eye till a fixed glimmer came in it. He hated lean men by instinct and distrusted them. Sure they ain't. How are you going to get around the fact that I did take cold feet? Well, Sanderson, you see that there's twenty-five hundred dollars hanging on the head of this cold feet? Certainly, and I see ten ways of spending just that amount. So do I, said Arizona. You do? Partner, you've heard me talk. Arizona, you're talking mighty queer. What do you mean? Now suppose it was me that brought in cold feet. Who'd get the money? Why, you that brought him in? Yup, me. And suppose I brought him in with two murder charges to him instead of one. I don't follow you. What's the second murder, Fatty? You. Sanderson blinked and gave back a little. Plainly he was beginning to fear that the reason of Arizona was unbalanced. He shook his head. I'll show you how it will be charged to cold feet, said the fat man. Taking the cartridge belt of Jig, he shook the revolver out of the holster and pumped the shot into the ground. The sharp crack of the explosion roused no echo for a perceptible space. Then it struck back at them from a solid wall of rock, almost as loud as it had been in fact. Off among the hills the echo was repeated to a faint whisper. Arizona dropped the revolver carelessly on the ground. "'Fatty, you've gone nutty,' said Sanderson. "'I'll tell you a yarn,' said Arizona. Sanderson looked past him to the east. The light was growing rapidly about the mountains. In another moment or so, the sunrise, which he had been looking forward to, 
with such solemn dread would occur. He was safe, of course, and still that sense of impending danger would not leave him. He noted Jig, erect, very pale, watching them with intense and frightened interest. Here's the story, went on the fat man. I come out of Sour Creek, hunting for cold feet. I came straight to this here mountain. Halfway up the side, I heard a shot. I hurry along and soft foot on to this shoulder. I see cold feet standing over the dead body of Sanderson. Then I stick up cold feet and take him back to Sour Creek and get the reward. Won't that be two murders on his head? The thin Swede rubbed his chin. For grown man, Fatty, you're doing a lot of supposing. I'm going to turn it into facts, said Arizona. How? With a chunk of lead. Pull your gun, you lanky fool. It seemed to Jig, watching with terrible interest, that Sanderson stared, not at Arizona, as he went for his gun, but beyond the stubby cowpuncher, far behind and into the east, where the dawn was growing brighter, losing its color, as sunrises do, just before the rising of the sun. His long arm jerked back, the revolver whipped into his hand, and he stiffened his forearm for the shot. All that Jig saw, with eyes sharpened, so that each movement seemed to be taking whole seconds, was a sneering Arizona, waiting to the last second. When he moved, however, it was with an almost leisurely flip of the wrist. The heavy colt was conjured into his hand. With graceful ease, the big weapon slipped out and exploded before Sanderson's forefinger had curled around the trigger. Out of the hand of the Swede slipped the gun and clanged unheeded on the ground at his feet. She saw a patch of red spring up on his breast. While he lurched forward, with long, stiff strides, threw up his hands to the east and pitched on his face. She turned from the dead thing at her feet. The white rim of the sun had just slid over the top of a mountain. End of chapter 27